Just, just, just words. words. Just words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore, otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Why is this the pressing issue of our time? Welcome to a special edition of Just Words, a podcast extra. Uh, This week we're bringing in the thoughts of some very key pundits when it comes to the raging 18C debate. I'm your host, Nick Healy, and I'm joined in studio now by Professor of Law at the University of New South Wales, Luke McNamara. Luke has been researching and teaching in the fields of criminal law, criminalisation and human rights for over 20 years and has conducted extensive research on 18C. That's, of course, the part of our Racial Discrimination Act that currently makes it unlawful to offend, insult, humiliate or intimidate someone because of their race. Luke, thank you very much for coming in. It's a pleasure. Now, we wanted to get you in the studio today because, of course, 18C has been a hot topic, particularly in the last week. Uh, It's been on the tip of our Prime Minister's tongue, if you will. And on Tuesday, 21st of March, Malcolm Turnbull announced a potential watering down of the controversial section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act in what could be considered a major victory for Conservatives in the Liberal Party. Some have called the move a little ironic, making changes to the Racial Discrimination Act on Harmony Day. Now, under the proposal, the words offend, insult, humiliate will be replaced by harass. The word intimidate will remain. Now, Malcolm Turnbull has argued that the government was strengthening the act, not weakening it. Look, how do you think these changes are likely to impact the law as it stands? And do you see these changes as strengthening or weakening 18C? Uh, To put it simply, no. I don't think it's possible to reconcile the Prime Minister's claim that these changes would represent a strengthening of the protection provided by Section 18C with the words proposed. Uh, To remove the words offend, insult, humiliate and to replace them with harass uh, inevitably uh, raises the bar from the point of view of defining the category of unlawful behaviour. And so I think it's it's really important that we scrutinise closely uh, the government's claims that this would actually extend the degree of protection afforded to victims of public racism because I don't think that can stand up to a scrutiny. Now, it interested me to see that the recent data from the Human Rights Commission shows that last year there were 77 complaints made under Section 18C. Um, Just over half of those resolved uh, through conciliation, and that's a process, of course, that's usually carried out confidentially, never makes it into the public view. Only one complaint lodged in the 2015-2016 year made it into a courtroom Why do we think this is so controversial? Why are we having such a heated debate over this? One of the reasons is we rarely discuss those statistics that you just described. I think they're a really important part of the picture. Uh, For those of us who have been researching in this field for many years, we to be honest, are frustrated by the, uh, the level at which this debate is conducted. It's, it's highly rhetorical, uh, it's uh, ideological, uh, and it's typically focused on one or two extreme case studies. So I think it's important to have a sense of perspective. You're quite right. In a typical year, the Commission receives less than 100 Section 18C complaints, and the majority of those are resolved by conciliation. Very few matters reach the adversarial levels of the federal court or the federal circuit court. And so it's hard to accept the argument that these provisions are causing enormous damage in those circumstances. Now, of course, we have heard some people say that the conciliation phase, because it's hidden, still can be quite impactful on the people who have been accused under this. I mean, uh, would you comment on that? Look, I think that's possible, but I think the reality is that Uh, This particular mode of dispute resolution has been chosen by governments for many decades now in this jurisdiction, in the discrimination jurisdiction generally, including uh, vilification. And there are lots of advantages from the point of view of the relative uh, modest impost on both 
complainants and respondents in terms of time, energy and resources. And certainly the underlying philosophy of that approach is that if the matter can be resolved to the satisfaction of both parties, that is a good outcome. Now, the legislation 18C has been positioned, of course, by conservatives and, uh, well, shall we say, right-wing think tanks as a threat to free speech. Could it really be described as that? Look, I've, I've said publicly before, uh, drawing on my own research and my research with Professor Kath Gelber at the University of Queensland, there is very little evidence to sustain the view that the existence of Section 18C has curtailed productive free speech and debate over the last 20 years. It's been in operation since the mid-1990s. There is some irony in the fact that although it's long been opposed by the Liberal Party and the National Party in, in coalition, government and opposition, it nonetheless has continued to exist at a time when robust debates have been held about all manner of issues to do with, for example, immigration, uh, to do with anti-terrorism measures. And so it's not entirely consistent to argue that this uh, has hung in some way over people wanting to exercise their free speech rights. If you had to speculate, what is it you think that critics of 18C want to be able to say uh, or do in public but claim they're being prevented from doing? Look, it's, it's, a, it's a really important question and it's been asked several times. It was asked of the Prime Minister in question time last week. Uh, it wasn't answered because I think the government is very reluctant to be seen to be condoning racist comments. It's hard to reach a different conclusion, however, than that the proposal would render lawful public comments which humiliated a person based on their race or ethnicity, because the deletion of that word from Section 18C would presumably send a message quite directly to those who would prefer to speak more freely about their views about a particular racial or ethnic group, uh, that that will no longer be an unlawful activity. Where do we stand on 18D, which seems to protect a lot of people who hold these views if they're considered a genuine belief? Yeah, so Section 18D is often lost in this debate, and one of the recommendations that has been advanced over the years, and it's reflected indeed in the most recent proposed bill, and this is a positive thing, is that whenever an assessment is being made about the potential unlawfulness of alleged behaviour, then we need to consider both Section 18C and 18D, because the two were always meant to operate in tandem. Mm. So Section 18D effectively recognises that there might be circumstances in which public comments are made which have the effect or have the potential effect of causing uh, insult or offence, but they may nonetheless be protected because they are legitimate contributions to public debate. And we've seen a few high-profile cases where 18D was used successfully as a defence. Indeed, and there's been a number of cases where the courts have recognised that even in the face of evidence that certain comments uh, or cartoons uh, cause particular effects, uh, they were nonetheless protected by virtual Section 18D. It's interesting, uh, Labor MP Anne Ali has said uh, she's quite heavily subjected to racism time to time again. She suggested that the changes proposed by the government signal a more lenient attitude towards racism. Look, it's hard to disagree. Um, and, and there's two points that I'd like to make there. Our research is entirely consistent uh, with that experience. We interviewed during the course of our research more than 100 individuals from diverse uh, ethnic and ethno-religious uh, communities. And there was a consistent message that, unfortunately, um, the experience of public racism is common. Um, it doesn't always rise to the level of unlawful racial vilification um, from our point of view, having done the assessment, but certainly many times it does, and that's a common experience. And the great concern here is that if these proposals are enacted by the Australian Parliament and we do have a new legislative standard, that is, only conduct which harasses or intimidates will be unlawful, then there is a real concern that there will be uh, 
an opening up of the opportunity to engage in other forms of public racism which are currently unlawful. Because to talk of harassing or intimidating is really, I think, to move the conversation to a more serious end of the spectrum. Intimidation typically is interpreted as um, connoting aggression or threats of violence or damage to property. Um, and similarly, harassment, well, harassment's more ambiguous because mm. harassment can be interpreted in dictionary terms as aggressive pressure or intimidation, which is at the same end of the spectrum. But ironically, harassment has been interpreted in some anti-discrimination legislation as, ironically, this becomes circular, as including offence, humiliation and intimidation. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure that the legislative drafts people have paid sufficient attention to the way in which that word is defined. Um, but I suspect the former account is the most influential, that there was a concerted attempt to move unlawful racial vilification as a category, more in the direction of intimidating and aggressive behavior. And the problem with that is it tends to ignore the fact that hate speech can cause serious negative effects on individuals and communities, even if it doesn't rise to the level of intimidation or harassment. We often hear people say that when we talk about offend in terms of 18C, this is held fairly highly. This isn't just, I was a little bit offended. We're talking about a, a legal ramification towards it. The court has been absolutely clear on this consistently. The federal court has held that we are talking about profound effect, not mere slights. Hmm. Uh, in all the cases that I've read over many years, the court has consistently held that line. And so to talk of mere offence is com a complete misnomer because it's not supported by the legislation or indeed the case law. Look, there's another proposal uh, on the idea of inserting a generic reasonable person standard into the legislation, the proverbial person in the pub or on the Bondi tram, if it were. Uh, but the reasonable person doesn't seem to have the background knowledge or insight into the particulates of a minority group that would be needed to make a fair and informed assessment of what's likely to harass or intimidate members of that group. I think that's quite right. And indeed, this is an additionally distressing element of the proposal. I noted that in the second reading speech, the Attorney General said that the concern here uh, behind the proposal was to avoid, and I quote, the subjective sensitivities of particular groups. Now, the suggestion that those who experience racism are not the best-placed individuals <laughs> and communities to assess the unacceptability of their behavior, I think that's really problematic. Um, and to suggest that a generic, um, ordinary person, reasonable person from the Australian community is well-placed to actually understand what it's like to be subjected to racial slurs, I think really is untenable. Surely, uh, you know, a generic reasonable person test could create the possibility that members of a group that happen to be socially really unpopular would be even more unfairly treated. That's right. And I think the only way that we could imagine um, using such a standard is if we were very, very confident that there weren't negative views, negative stereotypes, racist views held by some members of the Australian community. And sadly, the evidence is to the contrary. So how indeed one constructs an, a reasonable Australian person in this context, I'm not entirely sure. So I think it is important that we recognise that the proposed changes to the Racial Discrimination Act have two dimensions. They are both proposals that relate to the changing of the words in offend, insult, humiliate and intimidate to harass and intimidate. But equally important, I think, is this move towards, uh, 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 if you like, an ethnically neutral or a racially neutral so-called uh, reasonable person standard, which I don't think is appropriate or indeed realistic. Yeah, and not realistic to me at all, I don't think. Now, look, some massive concerns within the Jewish community that a change of the wording from offend and humiliate to harass could mean that online spaces like websites could fall outside of the scope of the law. And, of course, Jones and Tobin was mostly around a uh, Holocaust denial website. Now, would the proposed law mean something like the Adelaide Institute's anti-Jewish material would be allowed? 
Look, that's a very good question. Uh, I think the concern here is that once we move to the language of harassment and intimidation, we tend to associate those behaviours with the targeting of individuals. It's, it's quite a personalised attack. So we're familiar with that sort of language, for example, uh, in the domestic violence and stalking context. And so I think one of the concerns that is being expressed there is that we, we may risk leaving out of the category of unlawful behaviour comments that are made to the world at large, which defame a group at large, but are not necessarily directed at an individual and therefore less likely to be characterised as harassing or intimidating. Now, some of the debates I've had online, and trust me, I've had a few since this uh, podcast series began, people have been complaining that other discrimination acts do not include the word offend or humiliate. Now, of course, the uh, Sex Discrimination Act does, but the one I keep getting thrown with is why doesn't the Age Discrimination Act say something like that? Surely that's not the point of an Age Discrimination Act. No, it's not. And certainly uh, Section 18C was introduced in the mid-1990s on the basis of a recognition that there was a particular problem in Australian society with respect to uh, vilification directed at people based on their race or ethnicity. And so... The choice of words, look, people can look back over the parliamentary record of of bills and and statutes and perhaps argue that choices should have been made differently at different points in time. I think we need to assess what it would mean today to change the way, to change the words in the way proposed. And I think there are a whole range of reasons to be concerned about that. Look, the Parliamentary Joint Committee on 18C uh, didn't reach a consensus, didn't even have a majority opinion uh, in favour of the government proposals to amend the law, but its recommendations were limited to suggested reforms to the complaint handling process of the Australian Human Rights Commission. Uh, Is the process maybe where we should be looking to change things? Look, I think that if there are changes to be made, they are changes that can be made around process. Although, having said that, I, I think the argument that there is a serious problem to fix is uh, is not well founded on evidence. The first thing to note, which I think has been lost a bit in the debate in the past week or so, is that the proposed procedural changes would apply not just to Section 18C complaint. They would apply to all complaints of discrimination handled by the Australian Human Rights Commission. And so in a context where the Commission receives about 2,000 complaints a year across the four categories of Section 18C, race discrimination, sex discrimination, age discrimination... Um, Less than 100 of those are Section 18C complaints. And so the so-called evidence base about the procedural problems that have been asserted in relation to 18C have now been extrapolated to place restrictions on complaint making across the full spectrum of grounds of unlawful discrimination. Well, certainly when I hear talk about the process being the issue, it's mostly in relation to uh, Prior and QUT and the Bill Leake case. Indeed. Two cases in the smallest category of unlawful discrimination matters. It's an unusual evidence base for making widespread changes. And these changes are concerning too, because they are changes that make it more difficult, potentially, for vulnerable individuals and groups to make complaints of vilification and discrimination. And that flies in the face of the the very concept of anti-discrimination legislation, which was to make it easier, not harder, for individuals to seek justice. What would be the additional barriers for those vulnerable groups? One of the additional barriers is a a raising of the expectation as to how much information will be provided in a complaint. So when a person lodges a complaint, uh, there is currently a reasonably low bar in terms of the level of detail they need to go into. And that's been deliberate historically in all Australian jurisdictions to to invite rather than to discourage people who have been discriminated against from from lodging complaints. And then it's for the process uh, to determine what additional information might be required. So there's an attempt to articulate a higher expectation of further details on all the relevant acts and omissions that are said to provide the basis for unlawful discrimination. In addition, uh, the president of the commission under these proposals 
would have uh, mandatory responsibilities to terminate complaints if they didn't uh, reach a certain standard of, of likelihood of proof. Now, the bill's being introduced to the Senate, which I understand is a slightly unusual move on its own. Uh, what do you think is likely to happen in the Senate? Well, it's hard to know. Um, Nick Xenophon has indicated at this point that his party is unlikely to support the proposals in terms of the changes to the Racial Discrimination Act, and he appears to have left open the possibility of supporting the proposed changes to the Australian Human Rights Commission Act, that is, the procedural changes. So I think the most likely outcome is that the proposed changes to Section 18C uh, won't succeed and the changes to the procedural uh, aspects will, but at this stage it's hard to know. And if these changes happen, where does that place us in context of how the rest of the world treats racial discrimination? Yeah, it's a good question. There's enormous diversity um, across the globe. People are often drawn to the case of the United States of America, but it's it's very much an outlier in this context. So most uh, equivalent countries in the world have various forms of prohibition on racial vilification. Uh, some states, particularly in Europe, have taken the view that uh, the emphasis is on criminalising more serious forms of racial vilification. Now, Australia has, for the most part, avoided that option. Uh, Western Australia is the only state that's really pursued that particular model, and we've tended to adopt the the more benign, although still important, civil regulation model that we see in the Racial Discrimination Act. And so uh, we sit, I think, relatively speaking, at the moment as a good example of a state that has struck a pretty good balance between the competing interests in this area. I'd add in that context, though, that it's important to recognise that and this is based on the research that I've done over many years, Section 18C and equivalent provisions in states and territories, they're important. They're symbolic. They provide some reassurance to individuals and communities that the racism to which they're experienced uh, is not acceptable, even if those individuals and communities are unlikely to formally pursue legal proceedings. And if I had to push you, if I had to push you, what would be your predictions for what's going to happen with 18C in the next year or two? Look, I, I, I don't know whether to predict or to express a hope. I guess my hope is that this whole area settles down a little bit and we find a way of being a bit more sensitive to what the underlying problem is. Uh, it may well be that in the political context of the current Prime Minister, if Section 18C remains in its current form, he may be able to turn to his party and say, look, I made my best endeavours, uh, we, we attempted to achieve the changes that you sought, Parliament has spoken, the bill has not been supported in those respects, and we need to continue with the current law. I'd be happy with that because, in my experience, Section 18C has been demonised beyond uh, all um, available evidence, and I think the danger is if the proposed changes do happen to the Racial Discrimination Act, a very unpleasant and undesirable message is conveyed to the community at large, both potential perpetrators of public racism, but particularly to victims of public racism. And at this time in our, uh, in our history, I, I think it's a very bad idea for us to be changing legislation in a way which sends a negative message, which renders people more vulnerable and exposes them to public racism. So I hope that Section 18C largely disappears from mainstream public conversation over the next period. I hope instead that we have a much more constructive conversation about all the different ways, legal and non-legal, uh, educative, cultural, social, that we can engage in so as to reduce the amount of racism that occurs in Australian society. Professor Luke McNamara, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Personally, I think we should embrace the uh, core value at the heart of the democratic ideal of free speech, which of course includes freedom of opinion and the opportunity to express that opinion. But to me, that doesn't mean we have to turn the public debate into a free-for-all. 
McKeeley, thank you for listening to a special edition of Just Words. We will be releasing three podcast extras this week to help keep you in the loop and up to date with everything on 18C. We just heard from Professor Luke McNamara, an 18C legal expert from Uni of New South Wales. We'll also be bringing you 18C plaintiff Jeremy Jones, who you heard from in our first episode of Just Words in History and Denial, and how he thinks his proposed change to the law will impact the Jewish community. And we'll also be hearing from Senator David Lionhelm, who is a, well, very pro-18C reforms and also holds the somewhat unique opinion that offence is taken and not given. Next week, we'll be back with another of your favourite Just Words episodes. It's all about angry white men. See you then. 